Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Justin Richmond, host of the Broken Record Podcast. Join me, music industry icon Rick Rubin, and authors Malcolm Gladwell and Bruce Hedlum as we chat with legendary artists about their life and craft. This month, we're celebrating the Red Hot Chili Peppers' new album with John Fushante, Anthony Kiedis, Flea, and Chad Smith, all in conversation with producer Rick Rubin. They share stories and songs from the new album and also never-before-heard insights about their decades-long dynamic and chemistry. Listen wherever you get podcasts. The 500 Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man J.M. On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end So I written and so it say is Pink Moon by Nick Drake from the 1972 record Pink Moon. It's number 321 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, everybody? April 18th, I will be at the Nashville Comedy Festival uh, doing the jam with uh, Kid Rock. It's going to rule. And uh, then April 20th through the 24th, I'll be at Moon Tower Comedy Fest. And at the end of the month, I will be at where am I going to be? The Netflix Fest, doing a taping, doing a bunch of jams, doing a bunch of shows. I'll be in L.A. Uh, you'll see me in New York. Uh, I'm around, man. I am around. Around and getting down. I love you guys. I love you guys a lot. I want you guys to know that I appreciate all of you listening. You guys ready for a fun episode? Our guest today, him and I, very funny, Duncan Trussell. But man, did we have a great conversation about... This record about depression, about what fame does to you, uh, this was this was a really, really good episode. Um, and if you don't know who Duncan Trussell is, uh, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, make sure you listen to his podcast. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group and go to the website, the500podcast.com. Here we go, guys. 321 out of 500, Pink Moon by Nick Drake. I knew you were a big Will Smith and Chris <laughs> Rock fan, so it must be really intense to see your two heroes battling on the public stage. Can I get your – did you watch it live? No, I didn't. I didn't watch it live. I actually went to, went to bed early last night, and then my I, I heard my wife scream and woke up, and she was like, he slapped him. Dude, I, I saw it live. I like I had a date last night and I canceled the date because I'm I'm gonna be on the road so much in April that I was like, oh, I just need a night, I just need a night off, do yeah. nothing, smoke some pot, order some shit food. I'll watch the yeah. Oscars. Why not? 
why not see Amy Schumer fail? Like, why not? I don't think she failed. She did fine. She did fine. I will say this. She did not fail as much as I would have failed because that is the worst fucking gig having to fucking do stand up any kind of anything in front of that many people. You're in front of like everyone you fuck up. The risk is so great. I don't know what they, they pay you for that shit, but the risk of really truly eating shit, if you can just get out of there, you got some laughs. You know what I mean? You got some laughs. Everything's cool. Yeah. You won, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah, and, you know? and, they, and they got their laughs. They, the beginning was a little rocky. Amy the beginning had some was funny, rocky. Amy had a, some funny jokes during like her little monologue thing off to the side. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then the rest of the night, I was like, okay, this isn't that bad. There's some cheesy stuff. Wanda was doing some cheesy shit, but I get it. And then the thing with uh, with Regina, like you know, like like manhandling all the guys, I was like, really in twenty twenty two after what we've just been through, like I don't even know is that can we do this? You know, I just guess my bar, the bar that we've set for that event has been set pretty low, right? Did you see the last one? The last yeah. one was like some kind of surreal, absurdist take on the Oscars or something. Like it was so yeah. weird in the midst of the pandemic to watch the last ones in a train station. I'm like enough of a conspiracy theorist to be like, is this a message? Are they sending it some fucking message? Are they all about to leave the planet? Is that what they're saying? That they're at the train station and they're going to go? Like it's over? Why is, Glenn, why, why is Glenn Close doing the butt by EU with Lil Rel? What is going on here? It was so confusing. And so like, and in, in, in especially like in the midst of everything that was happening you know it's so weird you're like oh i guess we died and like this is like a, a death hallucination i'm having like my brain trying to emulate what the oscars is but it's confused so it's mashing it in with train stations whereas this one it's like they're all kind of back to where they were and any it just wasn't the it didn't yeah there were certain there's always in the oscars like bits where you're like what the fuck is this or just moments where like they cut off that poor sound guys audio for what yeah. he just wanted to say thank you it was literally gonna be a second they cut him off and then you're like well something important must be coming and it's like an homage to james bond yeah. this guy fucking worked his ass off to make music for dune and he just wanted to thank his kids and his family like no fuck you man we gotta do james bond next you know how people love james bond <laughs> and by the way, I, by the way, I, being yeah. such a fan of music and watching the James Bond montage, I get Live and Let Die. It's a great song. Yeah. 100% you should have played Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon. Yeah. You know, you know, death. It's just showing all the cool stuff and just him still fighting. I was like, what a per- what a waste of a perfect music moment to do something super aggressive and like like fucking kill you. I'm going to kill you. Gah, 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 gah. I was yeah. just like, all right, dude. But yeah. then the smack, then the smack. But what look you- what we're doing right now. We're talking about the fucking Oscars. <laughs> no, they figured they did it out. something right, didn't they? They figured <laughs> they it out. <laughs> they Somebody figured it out. And they were like, some, did they, did they say to Will Smith, you want best picture? Okay. Yeah. Well, we have a little job for you to do. I want to show you this James Bond montage because you're going to be like the james bond of the fucking oscars you're going to slap the shit out of chris rock because we wrote a joke for him that he's going to say and you're going to go there and slap him and you'll get you'll get the best actor and we the you will basically resurrect the oscars that's my theory on what happened so so will smith is a manchurian candidate I'm going to, if I had to roll the dice, man, it's like, you know, I read all these articles about how their numbers had significantly dropped, how like 
the benefit of, of winning an Oscar was in the old days, it would really boost ticket sales. But now the Oscar bump is just not where it used to be. And on yeah. top of that, people are like, they like people just aren't aren't paying attention anymore because it's like everything's schizophrenic now with all the po- all the content out there. What even is a movie? We're wondering what the fuck a movie means. And yeah. so yeah. Anyway, I read all this analysis of it, and they're you know these are the people who make movies. They know what the fuck they're doing. Like they know how to entertain, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I had to roll the dice on that being an accident or a semi-accident or like some crazy, you know, who the fuck is the Academy? It's, it could be the CIA for all we know. Yeah, we don't know what yeah. they're up to. Yeah, You know, they could have hypnotized Will Smith. They, you don't know. They could have called him in for a few meetings. Mm-hmm. He thinks he had a normal meeting, but they just put him in a temporary coma, planted into his head. You're going to smack Chris Rock. You know, it's funny that you're saying all that because there's stuff online saying that like Will Smith like donated millions of dollars to open some Scientology school, even though it's not called a Scientology school, but they do teach Dianetics in there. Yeah. And one of the things in Scientology is that you embarrass people that embarrass you by using physical slaps. Uh, and shit. And I mean, this shit. is, this is, look, I mean, look, I'm going down wow. a fucking rabbit hole That's on Twitter right now. Hole. Yeah. And, but it's like, I was like, oh, this is, this actually does make sense because you could see Tom Cruise doing it. He does it more verbally the way that he's like, uh, you know, you're fucking not wearing your mask. This is mission impossible. And it's like a way of taking back your dominance. Um, I, I just have to ask before we even get to the record, but do you think, cause I, I, you've been in comedy for so long, you're respected, you're hysterical. Do you think this changes the way we one tell jokes and then two is it okay if somebody can can come then go up is this like a free-for-all to hit us no this is the thing like all these (laughs) like any all the comics like oh my god people are gonna get on stage and start slapping us now that's no i don't feel no that's not gonna fucking happen and you know like I was, my wife was like, yeah, nervous. She's like, now look what they're going to do to comedians. It's like, I've, I've worked at the comic store for a long time, seen many comedians get slapped. It's not like this is a new fucking phenomena. It's yeah. just like, and it's not like, you know, uh, it, the only difference here is that usually when the comic is getting slapped, it's like they've already been bombing their ass off. It's a shitty set. Then they're trying yeah. to dig into someone in the crowd. They've lost the crowd. And then some drunk attacks or post set, they were attacking some Nazi's fucking girlfriend or something. And then they get knocked out. Not justified at all. All fucked up. It's just, in this case, it's like, whoa, hold on a second. Like that, you know, and Chris Rock's response was a, a perfect response. And I think his, the way he carried on, was amazing you know like that was the most incredible comic professionalism i've ever fucking seen it's a nightmare to get slapped for a joke by will smith i mean that's a nightmare you he probably looked at that joke was like i don't know it seemed like a joke he was like are we gonna do this yeah like fine i'll fucking do it and then will smith gets on stage and gentleman slaps him because that was a gentleman slap that was like what was weird about that was it's like how many people has Will Smith slapped? Because that didn't seem like an angry, scared, freaked out slap. That seemed like he goes to slapping class. You know, that was like, he strutted up there. He he held back, he held back. Yeah, he held back. He had this weird way of like strutting off post slap. Did you see the way he put the slap hand in his pocket? Kind of struts off. It's like, this is a practiced slap. You know, you, or is Scientology teaching this? Is this like a, (laughs) 
Because <laughs> if I were like, if I got angry enough, that I was going to go on stage at the Oscars and slap Chris Rock. I'd be shaking and like crying and all like, you know what I mean? But he did like yeah. a, that's a, po- that's a slap after you challenge someone to a duel. To a duel, duel slap. Yeah. Yeah. That's a but, duel slap. But it looked, it looked more vicious because the picture that everybody's using right now is the full follow through. Like you yeah. can see like he's fully extended and like Chris has that like wince on his face. I would say that picture is just as epic now as Muhammad Ali, the famous one where he's like <laughs> over top of the guy like that. Yeah. This is, yeah. dude, because, and more people saw it live. I yeah. saw it live last night and I was just like, I put my yeah. guitar down and I was just like, what the, I was like, no, that didn't. And then you go on Twitter and I'm like trying to pull it up and nothing's coming up. They're still talking about something from 2016, a joke that he made yeah. back then about Jada. And then finally it like popped up and then it was just like all the, the unreleased stuff and, and just the unedited and it's how many people put their guitar down at that moment. If you had to guess like all over the planet, (laughs) how many guitars went down at that moment? What are we a hundred thousand, 500,000 guitars went down. Let me tell you something, dude, there were a lot of people at the guitar center in union square last night, buying guitars with me. So I'll be at least seven. There were at least seven guys in the New York tri-state area that all are playing their new acts that were suddenly like wait didn't will smith just smack chris Roy? hold on let me put this on the new holster i just fucking installed and- how many people were getting slapped at that moment you think about stuff like you <laughs> a thing like that so many people are watching and you know like like would you guess like three thousand people at that moment were getting slapped by their friends or partners and like we're like whoa holy shit we wow this is an awful secret what this, is, this is insane <laughs> Yeah. All right, let's digress. We have to talk about so, so much. Speaking of slaps, this album slaps that we are about to talk about. Now, oh, I, I I want to talk about a moment that you and I shared together and then bring in. Then that's why I appreciate that you're doing this record is like, I don't know if you remember this. We were getting ready for JFL 2000 and I think it's 2015 I remember and we were in line me you and my drummer Nick and we were talking about and you were just going off about about meditation and you told me you told me it's like you know if you want to like I don't know I don't know what started it but we suddenly were having a deep conversation in LAX in the line to check into American or Air Canada and you started talking about transcendental meditation and and how important it is and how it's I think I, I think I was talking about just meditation because I never did transcendental meditation though I do have friends who who do it and swear by it so okay so you, you were but I for some reason I remember you talking about transcendental because that Maybe. was what that was the, that was what sent me off into a crash course not not immediately but in 2017 when I started doing it and I always thought about it with about that conversation because you were talking about how important meditation is okay and and, and then and of course I'm jumping many many moons and then when when our booker told us that you were going to do this record because you were going to come on for a different album yeah. um, unfortunately it just didn't work out from timing and then you do this which my first I knew I knew Pink Moon I, I had heard maybe another song off of like the Garden State soundtrack but this was the first time I had ever listened to Nick Drake from start to finish which this is a fucking easy listen this is coming yeah. at well, I think it's 28 minutes 28 minutes and 22 seconds and this record is 100% a 
it's 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 just like the way the way you experience after listening to this a calm uh, of love of like gratitude of just so much especially knowing this dude's story yeah it, it's it's like a, it's like I just finished like an hour long or like a week long meditation wow. like quiet it's it was so powerful to me welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute what's the name of that podcast that's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speaker's Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe for Grind podcast. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com. So, so tell me, how did you get into this record? How did Nick Drake come into your life? I, well, at college, I think that's how everyone, many people run into Nick Drake in college, liberal arts school. Somebody like, this is when I'd only been listening to like Pink Floyd, The Grateful Dead. I had, I was like, I still am listening to those albums, but I've always been kind of musically illiterate. But, you know, one of the cool things about, uh, especially in those days before the algorithm was in charge of giving mm-hmm. us like you know, musical recommendations is you would have these moments with people where they'd introduce music to you and give you a CD. And mm-hmm. I can remember listening to this particular album and just recognizing like how incredible it was. And then also like feeling weirdly voyeuristic or something like just hearing how tortured Nick Drake seems to be in the way he's like singing this, you can hear like the the pain in his voice. This was the last album he recorded. He committed suicide two years later. Yeah. So like you're listening to somebody and already people were just saying he's like, uh, you know, he was sort of a zombie. Like you could be hanging out with him and he just wasn't there. You know, the, apparently for this album, it seemed like his mood had gone up a little bit, which is actually one of the things you have to worry about with super depressed people is they, uh, when they've like finally decided to kill themselves, their mood improves a little bit. So people are like, he wasn't depressed at this time, you know? Yeah. And, and so, and what was really weird about it is he had been so fucking depressed and like just in his, I think he's living with his parents, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. so he, uh, he'd been so depressed, he'd been kind of incapable of doing anything. And then all of a sudden he went out to, he went on a vacation and he came back and contacted, I can't remember who the producer was, contacted this guy. I was like, Hey, I want to record something. And so they recorded it over two nights, which is crazy. Two half sessions, the whole album. 
Well, it's there's there's not much to this record. I mean, if you think about it, like we just said, the time's 20, 28 minutes. There's 11 songs. There's songs on there that are a minute and 37, minute and 23. Yeah. Uh, they all kind of have the same vibe as the opening track, which I'm assuming he probably wrote first, let's just say, and 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 to kind of like just continue into that that the rest of that vibe throughout the record. I mean, these songs aren't complicated. There's not many changes to it. And there is this underlying, you know, uh, message, you know, which is like, you can say it's about love. You could say it's about isolation. You could say it's about, you know, uh, it's biblical. It's yeah. biblical. He's, you know, the, the pink moon, you, it's one of the signs of the end. It, it's an interesting decision. The whole thing is to me, yeah, definitely just to me, a, uh, commentary on like it's a commentary on whether or not to stay alive or kill yourself it's 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 the which on his you know when they found his body next to his uh next to his bed was this book called the myth of sisyphus by camus and camus was an existentialist philosopher who you know who who yeah uh, really worked with that that quite that idea of like why do why stay alive what is the point of even it's being ridiculous alive? it's ridiculous yes. where everything we're experiencing is, is ridiculous the only thing that is really that, that we have certainty is that it, it, life is absurd so the only thing that's not absurd okay. is just is just yeah. killing yourself yeah. yeah well or or finding a reason because he's there's according to Camus there are other ways to kill yourself than just kill yourself there's philosophical suicide which was to like try to take some kind of uh, cheap way out by rationalizing the absurdity of existence. Like you can, cause once you're confronted with this thing that I think he's dealing with in the songs in this album or some of them at least, you know, which is this sort of like the fraudulence of society or civilization itself, the sort of cheap quality to everything, a general sense of like none of this shit really matters at all so what am i even fucking doing here and so this was this was Camus. like first you had to even get to that place and then when you got to that place you you're gonna feel a kind of revulsion a sort of i think what's and again i don't i'm not familiar as familiar with Sartre as i am with Camus, but i think he called it nausea a kind of yawning sense of despair and what the fuck even is this and why am i even interacting with it and then once you're confronted with that you can then you can decide if you're gonna stay alive or, or die which is why the myth of Sisyphus is so beautiful because it's a, here's why to stay alive here's a reason to stay alive and it's really dark his reasoning behind staying alive from other people's perspective but once you get down to it there's a kind of um what uh, it's a sort of rebellion to stay alive like even in the face of all this fucking absurdity i'm still going to be myself i'm not going to be i'm not going to be destroyed by the absurdity i'm going to maintain who i am i'm the great existential rebel and that's why you sisyphus is the uh, you know the the model for it because sisyphus yeah. shoving that fucking rock up the hill and watching it go back down it's the most pointless activity you could ever do yeah. and and yet sisyphus may, finds a way to be happy in that absurdity so pink moon the title fucking track is really interesting in that it's an apocalyptic song saying watch out this pink moon is coming for all of you no matter how important you think you are you're all gonna fucking die you're all gonna face whatever this thing is and then the other crazy thing about it is 
pink moon it's the first full moon in april so it's a representation of spring resurrection resurgence things coming back and i think this fucking album is like exploring that weird i don't know uh yin yang the polarity between the simultaneous horror and beauty of existence this, dude you're you're you couldn't have put this better to describe what this record uh, causes inside of me because if you want this to be a love album this is a love album yeah. and just the most beautiful thing you've ever heard to we don't know who he's singing about to his life to gratitude whatever or if you want to find the sadness in this this is this one of the saddest records yeah. you've ever, parasite fucking yeah. just i mean killed me i mean i can't tell you how many songs on this record like either choked me up or brought yeah. me to actual tears because i it's just like i i'm hearing this and it's so funny you brought up sissy fist and that is it's like it's like with my career in what i'm doing in stand-up right now it was like you start having these moments where you're like am i being myself on stage am i really doing what i'm supposed to be doing on yeah. stage I feel like I have moments of it. And then there's moments I, I walk into the comedy cellar and I feel like an imposter and I go up there and I do okay when I know I'm better than okay if I'm being true to myself. And then it was like, fuck this. I'm going to go up and have fun because this shit, this is so ridiculous. Everything we're doing, the fact that I'm going up on stage trying yes. to make people laugh that are complete yeah, strangers. So go up and make sure that I have fun and fuck all of them because they're all replaceable. I'm not replaceable. This I'm not. I'm not this comic. I'm not that comic. I'm me. So be me 100%. And then once I did that and, and started saying how ridiculous this is, then you start really finding yourself on stage yeah. and doing exactly what you want to do. Yeah, and you know that Nick Drake didn't want to go on stage. That's another. He didn't like to perform. He didn't want to fucking perform. And this this. Uh, this album was like his final, like an, another middle finger to the world because he did all the backing tracks and everything himself. It's all him and, and this producer. So like by the time he was so depressed by the time he got to this album, he's like, I don't want to be with anyone but you. And yeah. then he fucking records it after midnight. You record these are, this is like being recorded like in the dead of fucking night with depressed Nick Drake singing essentially a suicide note which i think is what this this album could be viewed as as a kind of his, uh, 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 contemplation of whether or not he should engage with the world anymore and a final sort of decision is reached i think at the in the last track and again that's uh, i think that is what is so incredible about this album and other albums like it is you ha it's you have on one level it's the most beautiful thing you ever heard. And you yeah. could be sitting at a cafe, drinking coffee with your friend, with this playing in the background and think, this is so romantic. It's so beautiful, so sweet. And then when you look at the fucking lyrics and yeah. realize what he's actually saying and realize this is someone who's about to kill, who's gonna kill themselves in two years, theoretically. No yeah. one's quite sure if he did, I think he did. And then also like, this is not just a person who's gonna kill themselves, it's a person who's just explaining why and, and, and pointing out all of this like hypocrisy in the world, according to him, and a, a general sort of like uh, recognition of, uh, I think what he considered to be a, a failure of civilization, all of it wrapped up in biblical references, man. Like, um, uh, Things behind the sun. Uh, the 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 lyric in there is um, uh, the whole thing is like talking about fraudulence. The fraudulence of like uh, 
of uh, you know the fraudulence of of people who you depend on, people in the world who are acting like so like happy or whatever, but behind it all is they're pitiful, and and um and he didn't want to be one of them. It seems like yeah. I really just looked over the lyrics as you were talking about from the morning. Um, so he, he, these are some of the lyrics. I can't think of words. I feel no emotion about anything. I don't want to laugh or cry. I'm numb, dead inside. And then there's a lyric that's from the song that's inscribed on his tombstone. Now we yeah. rise and we are everywhere. I mean, this is like, so a suicide note. That's so sad. The that, fucking, and, it could be, I don't know for sure. But you know, the song before that, what's interesting is Harvest Breed is about pollination. So that song is about like pollen falling down to the ground and like pollinating flowers. And then the next song is this like, it's, you know, it's talking about the cycle of life, how even like in death, things still like rise again. Well, look, 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 yeah. look at somebody we've left, we lost that, that we both know very, very well. Brody Stevens, right? Yeah. Brody, Brody, we love, you know, you, when, when, when they're alive, they're underappreciated for how much we care about them. Same thing with Angelo, same thing with, yeah. you know, with fucking Taylor Hawkins, who just passed away, the drummer that every, I yeah. mean, we all talked about, yeah, he's a great drummer. And then the second they die, it's like there's this this new life where we, we, yeah, we, that's it. we find their art. We yeah. appreciate it even more. We talk about them more. And it's like they're almost, when they die too soon, it, it's, I'm not going to, it's not a good thing, but it's definitely the way we try to handle death is by going, you know, oh, we'll get the love and love and love. And it's like, look at yeah. what happened. Brody. Brody is now being remembered as one of the greatest comics that's ever been at the comedy store for what he did in those late night sets. And the fact that we have yeah. any of them still on tape is incredible. And I mean, look, if Nick Drake doesn't die two years after making this record, are we sitting here talking about this record and how incredible it is and how moving it is? I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, and if, or if Nick Drake had achieved recognition prior to writing this would it be as good that that's where you run into the like uh this fucked up paradox that appears in music and and in, in a lot of different performative art forms is the the weird uh the the way that that the world is somehow capitalizing on the sorrow and suffering of the artist like elliot smith you know yeah. you can listen to elliot smith's music and not pay attention to the lyrics and it's like this is really beautiful sweet wonderful but then when you listen to the fucking lyrics it's like oh my god this guy is dying like this is a person who is in in the process of just falling apart and yet like for maybe for worse rather than better is so talented you know <laughs> what i mean so they're so talented that it doesn't sound like a scream no it sounds like music like like beauty and so in that you can almost forget like well you're you're listening to like the way an anguished whale but it's a talented whale and it can play guitar yeah. and so so in that people like it's it's a really almost sick relationship that can appear i think between the artist and their audience. And I, I went to see Elliot Smith perform. And I remember like, he couldn't stand up. He's sitting in a chair, he's all fucked up. I don't know what's going on, but the audience was like applauding it. Like they liked it. They liked how he, they, here was like the tortured poet 
who was disintegrating in front of them. And as in that disintegration was sort of offering his life, his last breaths to the crowd. There's a vampiric relationship that appears accidentally there. That's so weird. You know, there, you ever, you ever watched the, you know, we've talked about it a bunch on this podcast. We always talk about the best unplugged and it's like, you know, you, of course, everybody always wants to talk about Nirvana because he dies shortly after that, the way that he ended it, you know, and it was, you know, where did you sleep last night? And it's epic. But the one I always go back to is the one where the lead singer is like Kurt Cobain when he did Unplug. You, is he on heroin? Maybe we're not sure. Alice in Chains, 100%. Lane Stanley walks out there wearing the biggest sweater because he's probably weighs. 30 pounds underweight and the second he walks out there they're just the crowd goes bananas for him and i mean he could he's wearing the sunglasses you can his face looks like slimmed in he just looks terrible and it's and it's you know this incredible performance but we're literally watching a guy so close to death and yet the audience is just like fucking play rooster (laughs) like we fucking love you and this is where you run into the bizarre parallel that appears in performance and human sacrifice because you know there's a there's a wonderful uh uh essay by alistair crowley i think it's called on the bloody ritual it's an Mm -hmm. essay on human sacrifice through the you know, in various mythologies, world religions or whatever, like, you know, the human sacrifice shows up over and over again in the Bible. You've got God sending his son down to get sacrificed and so the world can drink his blood to purify themselves. Yeah. And then before that, you've got uh, Isaac, um, you, uh, I can't remember his father's name, The where God tells this dad to go bring his son up to like sacrifice him on an altar. And then of course, in a lot of other religions, you have human sacrifice. And then of course, in various occult traditions, we hear about human sacrifice and everyone's like, oh my God, it's fucking horrible that people would do that. And yet, what we do as a culture is we take people, we celebrate them to the point that we kind of kill them, but not really. We give them the money they need for the drugs. We have these demands on them that they're going to be like doing show after show after show after show after show. We know they're mentally ill. We can hear it in the fucking lyrics, but we don't want them to treat themselves because if they get better, they might not make the music that they're currently making. And so there's a bizarre kind of luring the artist over the edge. And then when they do finally go over the edge, our hearts are broken. And we look at each other like, oh my God, what have we done? As though, I mean, no, we don't go, what have we done? We go, what have they done? You know, as though- We don't don't take responsibility at all. At all. Even though like the people in their circle and the people like listening to their music and their agents and managers and everyone who is making money off of them, they kind of knew something's off here. Something doesn't seem quite right. You know, this, and even more tragically, people try to help and it doesn't work mm-hmm. it doesn't work and that's the other part that's really ultimately the most tragic part is like it really isn't anyone else's fault it's can, their fault can i this is a weird question because i don't, I don't want to be, if you're even comfortable naming names but like you you worked at the comedy store for so long which yep. is a harbor of the most talented people and then also the craziest people yeah. you're ever going to meet and we've also like i always say it 
you know, when what got me sober was being at the comedy store after a, a week long binge on like, you know, hardcore opiates, like, you know, oxymorphine and perk 30s and even heroin. And then I, I sobered up for two days. I go to the comedy store. Sam Tripoli sees me. And this is when he was, you know, fully in the 12 step and, you know, yeah. really dialed in before the pandemic. And he goes, he goes, you relapse again. And I go, no, I go, yeah, I relapsed. And he's like, when are you going to stop Josh? And I go, I don't, I don't know, man, probably, probably when I die. And he goes, okay. Or you're going to be that 50 year old comic that's still hanging out at the comedy store that almost had a TV show. And then I look Ouch. over, see that guy. Cause they're all over there. Dudes that drank themselves out of their career, that partied, that, that fucking didn't play enough by the rules. And, you know, you know, like, you know, you can even say Patrice O'Neill. Like, I love Patrice so much. He's one of my favorite comics. He could have been, you know, in the discussion of one of the greatest comics alive if he just would have played the game. And I'm not saying he did right or wrong. He did exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah. But you worked at that place for so long. I mean, did you, how many, like, was there any downfalls or anything in this kind of situation? That yeah. just that sticks with Are you, you kidding, man. Can... Yeah, I've seen so many comics die of, yeah. of self destruct. You know, it's like so many. Brody's one of many, many comedians. It's from like if you think about like other professions, and you like look at how many comedians die every year, generally like because of some like something they were doing to themselves. Yeah, uh, if not like outright suicide. You know, it's a very dangerous profession. And, and, and I, you know, I don't think it drives people into mental illness. I just think it takes a specific type of personality to be like crazy enough to take up the career. I mean, it's a yeah. think of the madness involved in like imagining that you're going to make a profession of getting on stage telling jokes. And then imagine the madness and imagine that's going to work out for you. Like just knowing the sheer statistical improbability. So I think the entry point into stand-up comedy requires a sort of madness, a beautiful madness just to get going, you know, and then to stick it out long enough to see any kind of results from the endeavor. That's a lot of late nights. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of like questioning your entire like identity like what the fuck am i doing yeah. why am i doing this what is this how many people other than comedians and, and performers know what it feels like to have a room of hundreds of people hate you for 10 minutes or 15 minutes how many people in their lives <laughs> in one in a 15 minute period get the experience of 150 200 strangers disliking them at the atomic level because they're off that <laughs> night how many yeah. <laughs> you know, like hopefully not not many, but a comedian gets that to get to learn how to be funny. You have to have that. It's almost yeah, like yeah. the uh, it's like the, it's a, a, a terrible kind of sunlight you need to grow into yourself as a comedian. Because, I mean, you're not going to get good if everyone like if you're getting like laughs every time, you, yeah. you know, starting out as a comic, it's not going to work out for the first however long. So anyway, however, yeah. That being said, I think like, you know, it's a, it's a, there are support mechanisms uh, and there are like, there are, thank God for the 12 step people that are in the yeah. comedy scene because they are really good at spotting someone when they're slipping and sliding downhill and they will approach you and they will try to help. They'll reach out. But if they're really in a 12 step program, they know there's nothing they can do. No, you know, if there was, we would have no 
overdoses. We would have no alcoholism because we would save all the alcoholics and all the drug addicts of the world with yeah. words. But yeah. that's the, isn't this the, the problem of the disease, right? Is that it requires like a higher power if you're going to uh, save yourself, at least from yeah. the perspective of the 12-step program. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh, I, mean, I, I mean, I was with Brody that last two months before he passed away. I was at the comedy store doing a Saturday night gig uh, every week. And it was really fun because I'd get, I'd wait, it'd be waiting or post show and Brody would be there with Howard Kramer and we yeah. would just laugh. And it was yeah. like, and I'd always been cool with Brody and Howard, I'd known in and out throughout the years of doing standup. Yeah. But the three of us would just hang out and basically make, I hate to say it, like make fun of Brody's baseball or whatever the fuck it was. And Brody would rip back at us. And it was yeah. this great thing. And I'll be honest with you, he never seemed happier. He had yeah. never, I, every time I'd seen Brody, he seemed more positive. He seemed yeah. like he was, he was like, you know, was his career where it was when he had the Zach Galifianakis TV show? No, but he's still working. He's still getting the spots. And then, and then it's, you know, you're almost like leaving him like, dude, he's the best. He's doing great. And then fucking, I remember it was like maybe like a week or so later to get that call and it's like and all we do is just go like we did did i contribute like what happened yeah. like i could could i have stopped this yeah you know it, it's it, you it's can't, i've heard you can't stop it i don't know if that's true but i've you know that and i, I think like with with certain types of mental illness there's a progression that is you know the, the so okay someone gets like uh cancer right yeah. and when a person with cancer finally dies, generally people aren't like, God, what if only I could have said something to stop the cancer. Uh, they're just sad. But when a person with depression finally uh, dies, it ends their own life um, or, or, or like accident, like puts themselves, like makes a series of decisions over and over that mm -hmm. over time in their life, everyone I, I can't tell you how many people said to me oh i saw him if only i could have said this or if only i could have said that and this is a really sweet idea it's the dream of the magic words you know like there's a way to say magic words to someone uh to make them better and it's they're just i don't think there is that's what's so terrifying about mental illness is it's, it's maybe it's not that much different from any other progressive 
disease. Maybe, you know, this is something really creepy Camus would talk about, which is this idea of being undermined. It's like something can happen in your life. It's like the pebble that hits the windshield. Yeah. It's just a little crack. But then as you continue through life, the crack grows and grows and grows and grows until you're done. You're already dead. You're a dead man walking. And, you know, when with Nick Drake, people would, were saying like he was gone, like he wasn't even there. The, if you look at the pictures in the uh, album and the album cover, you, you're seeing this person who's like clearly going through something fucked up. This is not a person trying to put on a uh, like cool rock star, dissatisfied, yeah. unhappy face. This is a person who seems to be like haunted. And um, I, I think with, with uh, Brody, part of what was going on with him uh, was that he was having like big mood swings. And so you could run into him when he was up. Or you could run in and you probably weren't going to run into him when he was down because he might not. He was maybe. He was like, yeah. yeah. So so it would be easy to be around him when he's up and like think, oh, he's doing better or something. Also, a parallel between uh, Nick Drake and Brody is they were both kind of struggling with like medication. You know, Nick Drake was taking antidepressants that he wasn't sure if he wanted to take. And this was the early days of antidepressants. And I know Brody was like, you know, always in this, like trying to figure out the dosages and like, like, you know, really, I think the difference between Nick Drake and Brody is that Brody was really trying, you know, like was really, really trying to like, he didn't, he he did up until the, I don't think he'd really given up until the very, very end. I don't even know uh, what happened, but um, I th- it feels like with Nick Drake, like even two years before he ended his own life, probably he'd already made the de- he was already starting to make the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this out, and, and you can hear that in this. Yeah, hour. for sure, for sure. You know, it, it's let me see when I can cl- get the right thought for this, which is, yeah, I listened to the record before I found out the story. And I remember I posted something on Twitter, which I do when it's like, when a record really affects me from this list. And I go like, I'm today years old where I found out how beautiful Pink Moon by Nick Drake was. Yeah. And my buddy, Eric from Meth Syndicate, who is a good buddy, listens to like hardcore, like fucking like minor threat, like the real, like real, you know, dirty fucking bands. Like where, you know, you go to a show and you come out disgusting and you, your shirt's ripped and, but even he wrote to me just a text and he was like, dude, this, he's like, this is one of the most tragic stories in all of music and one of the most yeah. beautifully sad albums, you know? And then when you yes. find that story and then I, and then I went back and basically everything we'd just been talking about, like I just started reading to find out about him. And it's like, you know, it, it, you have to ask that, that question. It's like, if, if, the, if this guy isn't depressed, are we getting this record? Are we, is his music, right. is it the depression that's fueling yeah. the music? Like, just like, remember, exactly. we keep bringing it back to Brody, which is like, if Brody's not this, this torn up person, is his stand-up the way that it is with positivity? Come on. Like, is he just saying that to himself just to yeah. get up? just to like kind of will himself out of this depression. Dude, I'm telling you, this is what's so fucking scary about it is like, sometimes that's exactly what's happening is you're hearing someone seeing to themselves, trying to work it out. And and we exist on so many levels, you know, we like, you can, you can simultaneously be fully 
aware of the absurdity of reality and also like in love with existence itself these two things can happen simultaneously yeah they're they're not they don't they're not separate like humans are such a mishmash of stuff and um you know i think that's another thing that that maybe some people aren't aware of is, is like yeah sometimes you you might want to kill yourself sometimes i think any intelligent person who's suffering uh who is especially comedians you know we're so good at analyzing everything and deconstructing everything you know and so i think like anyone who's suffering uh when you're coming up with lists of like okay how to stop this terrible pain that i'm experiencing just existing as a human on a planet <laughs> you'd have to be a real idiot to not have as one of those options start mm -hmm. taking your own life and yeah. i think that there's a uh, it's been stigmatized to the point where if people are having suicidal ideations they uh they think, oh my God, what's going on with me? And then they hide that from the world. They don't want people to know they're thinking that. And that's, that's, that's where it starts. That's the satanic reality of depression is that it invites you to be quiet about it. It's like, we don't need to talk to anyone about this. What's the point? And then that's where the spiral starts. Because now, yeah, I, I think as long as you're telling people, yeah, sometimes I think I want to kill myself. Uh, I'm never going to do it, but I, from time to time, I think this fucking sucks. Bill Burr's got one of my favorite suicide jokes. I don't want to repeat it here because I don't want to fuck up his joke, but it's it's an incredible joke about suicidal ideation. And and anyway, my my point is, this is the this is what sucks about depression is it invites you to stay quiet and give up. And I think in Pink Moon, we're hearing that we're hearing someone because you know. Road. I think Road is a theoretically a song about, you know, what what road are you going to take? And he's saying, like, you can take the path of the sun if, you know, if you want to. But uh, I can see the moon and it seems so clear. I can see the road that will see me through. And I think for him, that road was fucking death. And and so in that you're hearing him just say, like, yeah, there's. You can, there's a, uh, a binary here. And if you want to try the whole sun fucking road or whatever, I guess. But for me, this is, this is what I've begun to realize. It's really fucked up, man. And again, you have the moon, the reference to the moon here. And you know, uh, the, the, the other, like I'm, I'm sure he's aware of the fact that the, the moon is like illuminated by the sun. It's a reflection of the sun's light. And I think in these songs, you hear him tortured by the uh, sick relationship um, he was having to have with the world that he felt was so, like, kind of corrupted. You know, like you hear, you hear in some of these songs, uh, like Free Ride, the, yeah. this is, you know, the, you hear him like saying like, I know you are, I see what you're, you know, you're a fucking pig. You know, I see like what a, like a simple pig world this is. And yet can I, will you feed me? Will you give me or like, I still depend on you, you know? So he was seemingly tortured by that sick relationship that he had to have with the world who he seemingly has judged as being not a great fucking place. Did you did you notice this when you got you said in college you got this right? 
Yeah. Did you notice this immediately, or is this no. something that took? I, of course. I think. Are you? No, man. <laughs> I, I just I, 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 a pretty fucking album <laughs> until I had to do your fucking podcast, and I start researching it. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is horrible. What did we do? Why did I pick this? That's why when you're like, man, I feel it's all about love. I feel so good. I'm like sitting here in my fucking studio, like Jesus Christ. Yeah. What did I, I feel like? I looked into a book of black magic or something. I, I really like. But I think that's what the genius of the thing. And to get back to that idea of a polarity or this dynamic between the sun and the moon, light and dark, life and death. That's what this album's all about. And the genius of it is you can hear either side that you want in it. And that's what's so cool about it. Yeah. I, I, I just, I didn't notice it. I didn't, I really didn't notice it until my buddy, I just, you know, I, I guess it was one of those things where it was like, you know, I had heard, I kept hearing Nick Drake. I, you, I think the first time I really heard it was probably the Volkswagen commercial, which was so popular. Ah, that was hilarious to me. The Volkswagen commercial. <laughs> I remember sitting in my house and being like, well, why didn't you just go take a shit on his grave Volkswagen? You should have just gone and like driven a fucking Volkswagen over his grave. This is when they were like putting the stupid flower thing on the stupid Volkswagen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nick, Nick Drake's song about like, okay. Yeah, you might, you're, you're all <laughs> fucked. You're all going to die. No matter how great you think you may be in this life, you're all going to have to face this fucking absurdity or death or whatever he's saying. And Pink Moon, it's too cool for the party. Do you remember that commercial? These assholes walk up to some party that they've probably been invited to. They look at it. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We're not going to do this. We're not going in this party. There's a keg here. Let's yeah. go drive in our shitty Volkswagen and listen to Nick Drake. And they <laughs> smugly drive off with Pink Moon playing. And it's yeah. like, you fuck. It's, this is like, <laughs> oh, my God. This is exactly why they why Camus. Satan. You know, like, this is Camus. And- yeah, it's, yep. it's the ridiculousness of this world is that you take yeah. this song that he wrote in the most you know, tragic part of his life where he is just dealing with inner demon, where his own head is telling him he's, I mean, I don't, the the most depressing, horrible thoughts that's making him say, I got to kill myself. And Volkswagen's like, cabriolets. We're selling cabriolets with this dude's, with the one song that is is probably a thing that he'll be remembered for forever. Forever. Now, if the commercial had ended with a couple driving off a cliff, then yeah, you would have, then they would have yeah. gotten, then they would have understand that. <laughs> <laughs> it just gets hit by a Mack truck. They're just like, I should have known that. <laughs> but no, but this now is with like, airbags. <laughs> this is one of the weird realities of like, you know, default reality is default reality. It's going to echo anything that's good. And yeah. over time, the echoes will become increasingly corrupt until it basically becomes the opposite of whatever the musician or artist intended. I mean, this is like the way, you know, this is like the, what do they call it? The law of thermodynamics entropy. This is, this is, the, I don't remember which law it is. And I just said that because I like to say things where I seem smart. And I Sounds right. Sounds I say right. bifurcated to, it's, I don't know, it's, I like, I don't know the laws of thermodynamics, but I know one of them is something to do with entropy and entropy uh, is something that happens not just in like, uh, like energetic systems, like a ball rolling or whatever, or it also happens with art. And when you see like this, that level of entropy with the Volkswagen commercial, it, it, it it's horrifying. And you wonder, 
Is this what caused him to kill himself? Did he have like some dream where he saw the Volkswagen commercial in the future? And was like, you know what? I'm going to take too many antidepressants. I'm I'm done. There's no point. (laughs) Anything I even create that's good in this world is eventually going to be corrupted to the point that it's thrown back out at the world and the opposite of what it was intended. Adam, Adam, can you find out how much his family got paid for that Volkswagen commercial? Because I would love to know, like, because I get it. Like, look, you know, he obviously had nothing to do with it. He's been dead for, you know, 30 years or 25 years since when that came out from the time the song was written. You know, he didn't make a lot of money here. I have a little, like, just so the listeners are going to say, because there's always going to be somebody's like, you barely talked about Nick and who he was. So here's a little little hubbub on him. He was 26 when he died, died in 1974. English singer, songwriter, guitar, acoustic guitar-based songs, born in Burma, family moves to England when he's two. Both parents wrote music, uh, recordings with his, with his mother, Molly, uh, which have come to light since her death, are similar in tone and outlook to the later work of her son. Uh, he learned to play piano at an early age, began to compose songs, which he recorded on a reel-to-reel tape recorder that she kept in the family living room. I'm going to skip over some stuff. It was during this time later in Cambridge uh, that he discovered and became influenced by Bob Dylan, Donovan, and Van Morrison. I hear all of them yeah. in his music 100%. He started picking, smoking weed, playing guitar. He does his first record, Five Leaves Left, in 69. His sister, Gabrielle, said in an interview he was very secretive. Uh, She knew he was making a record, but didn't know what it was basically about. Uh, Then his second record, I'm going to fuck this up, Brighter Later, in 71. It's also a commercial failure. Um, And then he's, he's got a reluctance to perform live or be interviewed. Yeah, there's like no pictures of him. Yeah. The pictures that you see are like far away. Yeah. It's it's like it's like you know like I hate to say like you know fucking like CCTV type shit. Like he was just walking by. They're like that's Nick Drake. That's Nick Drake. Get it. Yeah. Put on the album cover. Put on yeah. the album. Uh, while opening <laughs> for for Fairport Convention for a few shows in '69, he had a bad experience performing live. So basically, he has this bad performance, and he cuts away from that. Uh, he would pause during uh, performing some of the songs. So then he just goes back to the drawing board. Well, he had to retune his guitar. He, he like had weird fucking tuning. So like his shows were clumsy because in between songs, he had to spend a lot of time retuning his guitar. Yeah, it says right here, and, and I quote, it was actually quite painful to watch. Yeah. Which I could see. I could see somebody that doesn't want to be. I mean, we've seen it, dude. You, I, how many potluckers have we seen go up at the comedy store? And it's only three minutes, and they've they failed two seconds in and cannot recover. And yet we still have another two minutes and forty five seconds to watch them. Yeah. Just and it's like you know, it's it's the worst. It's also if it's one of your buddies, it's also the best watching one of your friends bomb. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. But you know what's weird about Nick Drake? A lot of people don't talk about this. He's a very funny comedian. (laughs) really yeah he had a (laughs) (laughs) hey guys (laughs) hey hello he must have been it must have just been like he was so shy he was so sensitive and yet he was so good it's as he was such a talented person i mean it's this terrible collision 
happens sometimes and it really is brutal it's like you know you can't just you know i think if he had been born now where he could like use ableton throw together his own shit not even have to go to the studio just upload stuff on soundcloud he probably would have been like an obscure artist who who like didn't who stayed alive who wasn't so depressed i i think like that's one of the glorious qualities of the time that we're in is you can now have that personality and still publish stuff uh you won't be as probably as successful as you might be if you go on the road but at least you can have the outlet of knowing people are listening to what you're creating back then just think about it man you had to you had to fucking perform yeah and you had to perform at a time where people were used to like i think in those days like the the type of folk music people were used to is not this like weird depressing lo-fi shit like they were into like I don't know, like, well, Donovan and stuff, you know, it's kind of a beat Donovan's at shows supposedly like it was raining at one of his concerts and like he made it stop raining. You know, you have like that level of like mystical folk singer. He's making, she's like farting rainbows. And then you've got to press Nick Drake getting up in front of a crowd. Who's like hoping for some for Donovan or the birds or whatever. He's up there like weeping as he's retuning his guitar. People are probably booing. He's sensitive. You know what I mean? And then he just shuffles off and go and like, finally he hits the point where he's like, look, it's just you and me. We're going to do this album at midnight for two days. That's, that's what, that's what happened to him. It was just, he was sort of born too soon. Yeah, you know, and you had said something earlier about how he's being treated for with depression medication before they figured out how to treat people with depression medication. I don't know if you have, but recently I had a friend who had a bipolar incident and they she goes to the hospital and she came out and they're fiddling with that sweet spot to get her to be normal. And for like months, she was sleepy for other months. She was like catatonic and then she was too high energy. And it was just like you're you're trying to balance that. And that takes months and months of like upping and lowering the dosage to get them right. And now she's back to normal. But, you know, there were there were months where it was like, you know, you know, she's around people and it's making us uncomfortable because of we know. But it's also, you know, they, they, they almost like when you're figuring out medications, it's like you almost be have like there's like a moment of like where you're acting like somebody with Asperger's, which there's nothing wrong with somebody with Asperger's, but they're, you know, they're always, yeah. they can say but something. Back then, it wasn't like that. But I mean, back then, like you, you, they're like, even now, obviously there's an incredible stigma when it comes to having any kind of what they, what now they're calling neurodivergence, which I think is a very sweet thing. It's an acknowledgement of like, not everyone's brain works the same, but back then they would call it crazy. And then it evolved to mental illness and then it evolved to neurodivergence. But back then there was a real stigma associated with any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of mental illness. And so he wanted to hide. It, It wasn't just like the depression wants you to hide, society wants you to hide you know, put on a smile and, and like to, to be taking SSRIs in the, or whatever he was taking, I don't know if it was an SSRI, but to be taking an antidepressant in those days was even more stigmatized than it is now. Yeah. That's what's so fucked up. You could smoke weed all day long. You could be like slurping fucking ayahuasca smoothies every single day. People are like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. You tell anybody you're on antidepressants and people are like, oh, Really? Okay. Well, good for you. But yeah. there's a little bit of judgment there. You know, it was a million times worse 
back then. And, and so, and God, and I, you know, I don't even know if they knew about dialing shit in. They were probably just giving him these, I don't know what, yeah. what the fucking pills were. Big lithium. Thing. I could say lithium no, probably. probably. Lithium. Probably look it up. Yeah, Adam. Well, Adam, two things. I say you were we. What was the? Did you find out how much uh, he got paid for Pink Moon? So I did not find out how much he got paid for Pink Moon, but you can read into the number of copies sold: six thousand in the United States before the Volkswagen commercial, seventy-four thousand that year, and then over the next four years, jumped to three hundred and twenty-nine thousand copies. Wow! Oh, but that's how much it should have sold back then. Like that's like. You know, like you said, dude, it's like he 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 wrote it. He was awkward. He couldn't tour. So nobody knows who the fuck he is. You know, it takes it takes this 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 ad agency guy at fucking, you know, whatever company worked with Volkswagen to go. This is a great song. I want to use it for something. Because how many times have we been listening to a song and been like, if I do a movie, this song is yeah. opening the movie. Yeah. And, and, and then and look, I, I have no qualms at all with his family. No. getting paid and and him deserving what he deserves for making this record. I, I mean this sincerely when I say it, listeners. This might be my favorite record that I didn't know about before doing this podcast. And it's like, this is a record I'm going to listen to for the rest of my life. And I was lucky enough to go see, uh, I go see Billy Joel once a month at Madison Square Garden. It's been my thing. Wow. Like I go, I take mushrooms, I eat about three grams, I go cool. by myself, I, I get a good seat and I just fucking enjoy myself. And That's cool, man. It's, it's the best, dude. And you wanna talk about a more positive place to be, you know, there's no, it's only 50 and 70 year olds in the audience. So nobody's gonna fight. There's not gonna be weird energy. Yeah. Billy Joel, so every song is about love or, or great. And Billy's such a, a, a positive, energetic person. So it's only putting out like good vibes. And after the show, on the walk home, I'm, this last one, I was tripping balls. I don't know how it hit me so hard. And I put on my headphones and I put this record in and I just started walking home from, you know, 34th or whatever, 32nd Street down to my place yeah. on the east side on 22nd. And it's like just this this feeling of like, of like, because I didn't, I could look past the sadness and see the beauty. Yeah. Every one of those songs, dude, I'm telling you, Parasite is such a depressing song. It is one of the most beautiful songs yeah. I've ever heard yeah. in my life. That's it. That's it. See, that to me is the genius of the thing is like, and if only he could have seen it himself in that way. And yeah. this is the other trap of depression. You hate yourself. This is the problem of it is like, this is the tragedy of it is that all he had to do was shift out of that. And like out of the, the 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 dark part of the thing that wrote the lyrics and shift just a few inches outside of himself enough to hear the beauty in his own suffering, recognize that, then I think he would he would have finally been able to really love himself and and and, and would have solved the problem he was trying to solve in this album in a way that didn't involve killing himself. I mean, this is something that like. Um, Ramdas used to say uh, in the old days, and then he changed it because um, uh, it sounded it sounds too severe and could be too misunderstood. But mm -hmm. he would say like, I I like I love myself to death is what he would say. He 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 was talking about this possibility of of no longer being so compressed into yourself uh, that you only are the like rotten stuff that you think 
your doing or your guilt or your past crimes or whatever it is and just shifting out a little bit and seeing and he would say like look at your life like a flower it's a beautiful unique incredible flower and you can love that thing and so you know what you're talking about when you're hearing the beauty in his music that's the love part that's the part that without that it would be shit Mm-hmm. With that, you know, if you t- take these lyrics and you know make them just someone uh, bemoaning their own existence, they might be a little poetic. But his voice, the pain, oh. think all of it is is somehow like simultaneously redemptive, you know. And and he just couldn't see that. I think he couldn't see it. Same with Brody, you know. Same with any of these people that we've lost. For whatever reason, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see their own beauty. They couldn't see their own light. They only felt the darkness, you know, and and that to me is why it's such a brilliant name for the album. For the record, yeah. Pink Moon, you're you're naming your fucking album, you know, after like the first full moon in spring, but also the acknowledgement of like, you know, uh, the the no matter what, the moon can only reflect the sun's light, you know, and and similarly, Nick Drake, you know, like he he couldn't see his own light it's so fucking so so disturbing yeah there's there's so many people that probably people i get it all the time from listeners where they're like where they're like you know oh this this happened and you know your podcast makes me forget about you know the the pain that i'm dealing with and it's like you just want to be like dude but it's like I, i love that but like there's so much even when it's bad, it's still good. You just have to see it's because if you sit in love, if you lead with love, even in the worst times, it's never that bad. There's, and I hate to be like, there's always somebody worse off. And, if, and just thinking that is what takes you out of it. Cause there always is there's a Nick Drake. He's, he's a brilliant songwriter. He's probably has people saying to him, you are brilliant. You are a genius. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. It will pop. You know, and I get it. I get how that feels to make a record or put something out there that you care about with love and the audience just being like, eh, I don't see whatever. But it's like, there's like, you just keep putting that love into the music. Um, well, maybe that's the problem, right? Like he, he like if, if you're making something hoping that people are going to like it, you're already fucked, right? Like because no, your right. reasoning is all weird yeah. and you're trying to like turn into some kind of, like love magnet or something like that. I mean, not that that's a weird, I, I want, I want everyone, all, any <laughs> we, all fucking, we, we need that. We love, we, yeah. we, but also it can't be the only reason. And and if you care about that too much, then you you get diverted or something. And, and like, it can be quite dangerous in fact, to uh, be too hungry for that. But yeah, man, I think, uh, I think uh, the, anytime I've been, able to not try to explain my own suffering anytime i've been able to just feel it as it is without saying oh i'm suffering because of this or that or here's why i'm upset or here's what's bugging me but just feel the the suffering itself there's a real beauty and clarity to it you know like because part of being depressed or part of being uh out of balance or whatever is a kind of confusion you feel confused foggy but your pain if you just spend any time with it at all, you'll realize, oh my God, this is so clear. This is so bright. And so like, um, what's the word? Uh, perfect. You're suffering yeah. perfect. You know, there's a, and then you realize, oh fuck, 
the thing that I'm running away from or hoping will leave me is actually perfect and clear. And in that clarity and the imperfection of our suffering, there's enlightenment. Like that's your enlightened mind, actually. It's there's something in that that, or at least in the awareness of your own suffering, that is weirdly paradoxically uh, uh, the complete opposite of. Well, yeah, uh, it's of what it. it's what Eckhart Tolle talks about with the pain body. It's like it's the comfort. Like we can sit in that, we can sit in our pain and be, and it's like, oh, I like, I know this feeling yeah. and it feels, it feels warm. And it's like, you know, beating yourself up, regardless if it, if it's the worst thing you can do, you know, it, it feels okay. We yeah, talk, right. we talk harder about ourselves than anybody else does in our oh mind. Oh my God. People are so cruel to themselves. And, yeah. and it's, it's amazing. It's so fucked up when you think about like some of the shit that you say to yourself, like the other day I, I walked in front of the mirror and <laughs> I looked at myself with my shirt off and I go, you stupid fat fuck. It just popped out of my head, man. Like, you know what I mean? It was like the first thing out of my mouth and I caught it though. Like, and I'm like, normally I think I just do that unconsciously and then go get dressed. <laughs> yeah. But I caught it. I'm like, why what do you do? Why are you why are you saying that to yourself? Like why would you what 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 benefit is there from this ridiculous war with your own identity? And and so yeah, the I think the invitation from all the wisdom traditions is it, it, the, like surrender. Like you're not gonna win that war. Like if, if you're at war with yourself, if you're, you know what I mean? If you're fighting yourself, if you've made this horrific decision that you are fucked up, and, and this is where it's really tragic with a lot of depressed people, is they think they're fucked up, but they think other people are doing great or they really love other people. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but the, the problem is like that kind of love, if you hate yourself, any how can you love anything really like the the love you feel for the world is going to always be shadowed by that self-hate so you really do have to figure out a way to just love yourself and really love like you know not not fake love yourself either really love yeah genuinely because dude it's you know the one thing I love about podcasting is that it's been such therapy for me where I've gone on other podcasts and told these stories about things that I've done in my life that I carry that baggage around as pain yeah. because of mistakes I've made, DUIs, things I've said to girls, things I've said to guys, my parents, blah, 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 blah. And you tell it on a podcast and listeners hear it and then they go, that's the greatest story I've ever heard. And it's so funny. And thank you for telling it because it brought so much enjoyment to me. And then that negativity that you carried around suddenly becomes this positive where you're like, oh my God, if I never was a fuck up the first 26 years of my life, then I wouldn't be doing so well on this podcast. Yeah. And now it, you, you, it's like you flip the script on the pain and now it's positive. Uh, that took years for me to get. And now I do stuff like after talking to you and going to a guru for, you know, the last five years where it's like meditation and, and acting classes and, and, and just, you know, reading, like yeah. I, I'm at a place now at 42, it took, it took literally 38 years of my life to figure out how to be happy and how to love myself. Amazing. A lot of people, I mean, generally people don't ever, really do. ever. It's ever. It's, yeah. It's so fucking weird. Isn't it? I mean, it's like, how is this possible that, 
they they're sometimes I'll, when I'm really being hard on myself, I'll just think who's being hard on who here. Yeah. Like, like what, you know, what, what is the thing that like, if so, if you know, it's, it's a common thing and weirdly celebrated in some circles to hate yourself. And mm. so, but when someone says, I hate myself, it's an, it's really an interesting thing to say in the sense it's like, okay, well, who is the thing hating and who is the self, right? Like you've already divided yourself into this, strange thing which by the way usually the thing that you're hating it's a figment of your imagination anyway mm -hmm. like you're literally like whatever the you know you hate yourself because whatever you fucked up you did some stupid thing you got a dui you did horrible things and all of your in christianity they call it sin but mm -hmm. like you know most of the, the that stuff is just stories you're telling yourself other people would tell a completely different story you have a foggy memory anyway by the time you're our age and have done as yeah. many drugs as we have so <laughs> you don't remember shit anyway like just think you don't remember what you ate three days ago but somehow some event that happened years ago you feel like no 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 i know that was like a horrible thing that i did really you really yeah. think you have an accurate memory of that and p.s whoever the fuck was doing that back then is not you now mm -hmm. that was a completely different person who was doing the best they could by the way it's not like back then when you did whatever you did you were like i'm going to do the most malicious shit ever yeah. you know what i'm going to do i'm going to fucking hammered and drive and get a dui or whatever the fuck you're 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 the crimes that you've been accusing yourself of your whole life that uh -huh. was a different person anyway yeah. So who the fuck are you holding on trial? And yeah. who's the judge, right? Like, what are you doing? There's not even a thing that you're holding on. There's not even a thing to carry the burden of whatever your crimes are, other than some imaginary construct that you have to constantly rebuild every morning when you wake up and decide you're going to habitually hate yourself. <laughs> it's so much work. It's too so much, much work, work to, to hate too yourself. Too much work. Like, just eat mushrooms. Yeah. Go to Billy Joel and forget all the rest. Who get, yeah. Just do that. That's the answer. I think you figured it out, man. You might have you might have like started a new world religion. The the, the sacrament <laughs> being mushrooms, the church being Billy Joel. <laughs> Dude, it's it's real. It is real love. Every when time I go, man. People, they're looking at you like, "What the fuck? You're high." Yeah. They yeah, know dude. you're high, right? They, because they're they, probably high too. I'm not. I'm not like acting weird, but I. There was a moment where I was like, because I'm I, the second it started, I'm up dancing, and I'm in a very nice row of where we've all the tickets are probably three hundred bucks. I got hooked up through Live Nation this show, but usually I'm going to spend at least two fifty so I could get down lower bowl close yeah. to the stage. I want to see it, and the, I vape and I hit the vape and the and I blow the smoke up because it's a concert. The lights are off. No one's going to see me. No one's going to care. And the security guard taps me on the shoulder. And I mean, I am deep, deep down on the lower level. So this guy, somebody had to tell this guy, oh, taps me on my shoulder. He goes, hey, man, you can't vape in here. I go, oh, I'm so sorry. He goes, also, no one else is standing behind you, so you can't stand. And I just look at him and I'm like, it's a fucking concert. Like, and I just look at them and I go, get up. And they just, and I'm just like, whatever, I'm fucking. So I sat for like two seconds and then he played like Zanzibar and I was fucking just, I got a brand new school. Just, I was like, so. You can't fucking do that, man. These, a lot of these people have had hip replacements and stuff. You got to sit, man. These people are like, there's a reason they're not standing up. You're forgetting. They're yeah. not in a young body. They're not on mushrooms. They're on benzos. They're on fucking benzos. They're on Ativan. 
<laughs> let's, all right, here. Let's let's dive into the ending of this. Um, all right. Any uh, facts or anything, Adam, we need to know about? No, we covered all that. We covered all the big stuff. So this went lower, though, on the new list, right? Yeah, actually. So this so this jumped. This was on the 2020 re-rank because we go off the 2012 list. This It jumped 118 spots to 203. And I can see that. 321. And then, if just in case anybody wants, Beck, one of my favorite artists, covered this album. If you want to listen to Beck do this record, there's uh, it's all on YouTube. It's great. I'm going to actually – I didn't know that until I saw this posted in front of me. Um. But yeah, he covers Pink Moon, Witch Will, and Parasite. He did it in 2005. All right, rapid questions. Great. What's your favorite song on the record? Uh, uh, From the Morning, the last track. I'm going to do Parasite. But I do love Pink Moon, man. I really do love Pink Moon. Uh, Least favorite track on the album? Um... Probably hold on. I've got the I've got it listed here. I like I like all the like all of them. Um, but I don't know, man. It's that's hard to say. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I honestly I don't. It's if I had to pick, you know, I'm just making something up because I like I like all of it. But probably things behind the sun. I didn't like that much. I don't even know why. I have no reason for that. But I did like it. I mean, I don't know. If I, you know, it's like asking which of like all of yeah. these great things suck. They're all pretty good, but things behind the sun, whatever. I didn't like it. No, I get it. I get it. All right. What song on this record would you fuck to? That's a great, first of all, like, I think like you definitely know me well, cause these are short songs. <laughs> I'm yeah, going to go, I, th- I guess I'm going to go for the shortest one. I don't know <laughs> which it is. What do we got? Is there a minute song on here? Minute 37, Harvest Breed. There we go. Perfect. It's got breed in the title. Well, according to this dude, I don't know where I saw it, but he said the perfect amount of sex is 15. No, it was 15, 15, 30. So it's an hour of sex, 15 minutes of of, of male cunnilingus, 15 minutes of female cunnilingus, and then then a half hour of actual sex. So this will get you through the first part. That's, so that's like that's the twice. that's the thing Nick Drake heard that finally drove him to suicide. <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, all right, I can just tell. He's like, I'm done. Thirty man. years from now, I'm done. Uh, and then we have we have a couple Patreon questions. We got which which ones are worth asking, uh, Adam? I would say go to three is probably the best one. Number three. All right, uh, this is from Tim. I heard someone once say that since Nick Drake died early and with almost no interviews left behind, he never really got a chance to comment on his art, which makes his albums a sort of blank canvas for us to interpret how we like. That's cool. How do you think Nick would have evolved and do you think his early work would be as critically praised today if he were alive longer? Yeah, that's a great question. I think he could have gone one of two ways. Like, think of Sid Barrett. Like, early, early Pink Floyd. That shit was so good. So simple. A little, like, sillier than Nick Drake and a little crazier, like a more mania in it, but still it had this simplicity that was so psychedelic. But then look at what happened with him. Sid Barrett, he, like, couldn't, he didn't, he slowly unraveled. I think Nick Drake, that if he if he had managed to stick around, I think he probably 
whatever he was making would have potentially become increasingly incoherent. And then he would just stop making music and become some kind of recluse. That's one possible path. And I think the other possible path is that somewhere along the way, the thing might happen to him that has happened to any of us who have managed to make it out of a depression, which is like all of a sudden things get a little better and a little better. And you realize, holy shit, I was so depressed. Oh my God, was I, I can't believe it. You know, cause when you're super depressed, you don't even know it. And then when you start emerging from it, you know, it's like, wow, I survived that. And then in that there's a kind of uh newfound stability that can really at least for me like anytime i find myself sinking down into the blues i can remember like okay okay i know this place but i also know i always come out of it so maybe his the next whatever the next album he was making could be more of an acknowledgement of the possibility of, of resurrection and uh and of, and, of, and of getting better or it would have just sucked because he got too fucking happy i think he played saxophone he could have just turned into like shitty fucking saxophone music and cheery fucking lyrics and, and embarrassing and then and then no one listens to his old shit because his new shit sucks <laughs> that's perfect dude this was great uh promote away anything you want to promote oh just my podcast and uh i'm i've got a lot of dates coming up of which are at duncandrussell.com if you want to see me do stand up go see him everybody Duncan, please come back Please Thanks. Come. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. And I, right. I, I want to go to Billy Joel with you one day. Done. I get the tickets, though. Okay. Okay. Cool. I love it. All right, man. See you. Have a great day. See you. See you, Adam. Bye. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Duncan Trussell. At Duncan Trussell on all social media. DuncanTrussell.com for all things Dunk. And listen to his podcast, The Duncan Trussell Family Hour. He is a deep thinker. He is a uh, a dude that has been through it. So make sure you stay in touch and follow Mr. Trussell. Uh, listener shout out, Jeremy Brindling at Bear Jer Bear. B-E-A-R-J-E-R-B-E-A-R. Thank you, man. All right, guys, for new music, we have Strands of Oak, the songs Horses at Night, Go to the website to hear it uh, and send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and we'll play it next week. It's Radiohead Week. Amnesiac 2001. You got me. I'll do that one. I'll do that one for sure. Do your homework. Impressive lingering of salt in the wound. The sweet dependency they stole from you They answered back With no respect With
Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. 
So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Next Chapter Podcasts.